Hi, this is Chad Hornbaker, and this is My Life Wildlife. I'm a wildlife inspector, canine handler with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and I'm currently stationed in Anchorage, Alaska. This is Doc. <laughs> He'll be seven this year. We've been working together about five years now. Wildlife inspectors are located at ports of entry, similar to Customs and Border Protection Officers. There's approximately 115, I believe, including our supervisors. So there's 115 of us attempting to facilitate the legal wildlife trade and interdict the illegal wildlife trade entering and leaving the United States. Whether it's commercial, personal, and or smuggled, because our main focus is interdicting smuggled wildlife, whether it's imported or exported. We regulate numerous statutes and regulations to include the Endangered Species Act, which includes CITES, the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species. One of our main enforcement acts is the Lacey Act, which allows us to enforce violations of foreign state and tribal law. So if you import wildlife into the U.S. in violation of a foreign country's law, you are now in violation of the United States Lacey Act. Anchorage is the fifth busiest landed air cargo hub in the world because of its location, the nexus to Southeast Asia and Russia and the most of the planes that stop here are gas and goes. They're refueling, switching out flight crews. So we have a lot of cargo planes we inspect that we, they're on the ground for 90 minutes. So we have 90 minutes to take a look at what's on board or the paperwork to see if there's any legal wildlife or illegal wildlife on it. And a lot of that cargo is in transit from one country to another. So it may not be entering United States commerce, but under the Endangered Species Act, we can still regulate the trade. If the wildlife is endangered or listed under the convention, CITES, then we can take enforcement action if there's a violation. Just like the drug trade or illegal gun trade, it all revolves around money. What's worth the most? What's highest demand and unfortunately the more endangered the wildlife or the rarer it is the higher value it carries so the more it's sought after a live hyacinth macaw can bring a hundred thousand dollars on the black market because they're so rare right now shark fins are really big in the trade because of the demand for shark fin soup a lot of shark fin species are legal to trade in, and the CITES listed species of sharks are legal to trade in as long as they have the correct CITES permits to export and import the shark fins that they harvested. But we're seeing a lot of shipments where they're commingling protected species with unprotected species and then just declaring them as the unprotected shark. So they'll declare a bluefin shark shipment and we do an inspection and we're finding silky shark, hammerhead shark, mako shark. Obviously, if I just have to go on there and physically look, it could take me 
hours to try and find the shipments we're looking for, which we don't have. So I've trained my canine as part of one of his scents to detect. I added shark fins to the detection. And he may be able to locate it within seconds, if not minutes. We started our canine program with the wildlife inspector program. I believe it was 2013. We've done two classes of four canine teams. Currently, we have five teams in the field stationed in different ports of entry around the U.S. All our dogs are lab or lab mix, and I believe all but one currently in the field were rescues from animal shelters. Doc being one of them, he went from being a rescue dog to being a full-time government dog. Being that I'm in Alaska, I've trained him on polar bear, walrus ivory, whale baleen, because we want to also protect our native species from exploitation or smuggling. And those are items we may see going out of Alaska. He's trained for ginseng because ginseng is big in the trade and ginseng is a CITES protected plant. Sea cucumbers, that's another thing that's very large in the trade right now. We're seeing a lot of because it's high demand for food. And then we started doing watercraft inspections at the Elkan border crossing with the Yukon Canada for invasive species such as the zebra and quagga mussels that be can, can attach to watercraft and they can survive out of water for a few days and standing water in the boat can carry the uh, microscopic offspring. So I trained Doc to detect zebra mussels on the outside of the watercraft. We uh, got a permit from the National Park Service. We got permission from the state of Alaska and I was able to get frozen zebra mussels, which I dried some out. I glued them to small magnets, and then I can place them on vehicles and boats to train him to search watercraft when it crosses the border. If you think about walrus and whale, they're marine mammals. So if he encounters other marine mammals, he can relate himself that it's a similar scent so he may show interest in a shipment and we open it up say if he was trained on walrus ivory walrus ivory is made of enamel just like our teeth and there's secondary dentine in it he may be able to relate to if a tusk from a warthog was coming from Africa or a skull because the ivory on a warthog tusk is also enamel, so he can relate to that on his own. If I take a look at that and we find wildlife or something I want him to continue to find, then I will reinforce it with rewarding him for finding it and then start doing regular training on those items so he continues to know we want him to find that. You get familiar with what's current in the trade, what continues in the trade. So where's the demand? You know, where's the supply? If the demand is in, say, Australia, then we want to look for shipments going to Australia. If the demand's in Canada, then 
we want to look, you know, what's going into Canada is the highest demand in the U.S. So that stuff's going to be coming to the U.S. Most of the shark fins we see transiting through here is coming out of Mexico and Central America because that's where they're harvesting. That's where the supply of shark fins are. And the demand is generally in China and Hong Kong. So we know, you know, if you have time, look at shipments leaving point A, going to point B. And typically you're going to run into what you're looking for. And, uh, you know, we run into a lot of shipments that are legal. Everything's done right. They have the permits if they require them. The wildlife's declared and everything's good to go. So it's a quick inspection. We verify the documents and it's on its way. Live turtles being smuggled out of the U.S. is huge in the market. A couple years ago, Doc intercepted some mail and the boxes said toys. And I opened up the boxes and it was little toy trucks. Well, you want to make sure you do a thorough inspection. I'm like, well, he alerted to something. So I dumped out the boxes and lo and behold, there were small turtles about the size of a 50 cent piece round. They were probably that year's offspring collected from the wild. And to give you an idea why people do that, an ornate Eastern box turtle can bring $20,000 US in foreign markets for the demand. They were wrapped in black nylons and taped so they can't move around. And had I not dumped out the boxes and went through it, I may not have even noticed. And there were 17 turtles in two small boxes of little toy trucks. One of them had perished and one of them ended up perishing because they get dehydrated and sick. But 15 of them did make it. And we have a lady here in Anchorage who assists us. Her background, I believe, is in zoology. And she's a animal curator at the museum here in downtown Anchorage. And she assisted us with those and cared for them and found permanent homes for them. So that was one of our success stories. A lot of what we see, like the shark fins, processed, you know, crocodile skin handbags, a lot of what we deal with is dead wildlife. So it's kind of neat when we can actually intercept live wildlife and then they end up, you know, we actually have a survival story. You know, it's kind of a silent war that we're carrying on. You don't hear about it, but if somebody isn't taking on the battles in the war, some generations may only be able to see some wildlife in a zoo if they're lucky or pictures on Google because humans are consumers and we're consuming an awful lot of stuff awful fast. And even with our permit system, it's even hard, I think, for our permit system to keep track of how much we're really consuming worldwide. If somebody would have told me 30 years ago, you're going to be in Alaska with a wildlife interdiction dog doing what you always wanted to do, I would have never, never even, you know, thought it was possible. And here I am. Now I've been here with Doc for almost five years now. So it's, uh, it's been quite the uh, journey and quite the adventure. This has been My Life Wildlife. 
a production of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Alaska Region, Office of External Affairs. Producers Lisa Hupp and Chris Pacheco. Produced and story edited by David Hoffman for Citizen Racecar. Audio editing, sound design, and original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Artwork by Michelle Lawson. In Alaska, the employees of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are shared stewards of world-renowned natural resources and our nation's last true wild places. The lands and waters of this place we call home nourish a vast and unique array of fish, wildlife, and people. Our hope is that each generation has the opportunity to live with, live from, discover, and enjoy the wildness of this awe-inspiring land and the people who love and depend on it.